welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey guys, this week I'm joined by Chris Caulfield, who's a registered nurse and he's the co-founder and chief nursing officer at IntelliCare. And after witnessing some pretty horrendous short staffing consequences as a floor nurse and union leader, Chris has now built a solution to reduce those shortages. He joined forces with a full stack engineer and developed this on-demand app scheduling solution for nurses and nursing facilities. And very recently, he's raised a heck of a lot of money, so $45 million in a Series B round to really scale this across the US. So it's four years old, filled the first shift four years ago, and since then, he's been helping the organization grow and scale to where they are now. They've got 11,000 active nurses. They filled over two and a half million hours of skilled nursing care, making it the fastest growing healthcare staffing company in the US. Enjoy. Great, so Chris, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, James. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Chris? Today, I'm coming from Boston, Massachusetts in the US. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And what, what time is it over there? Let's see. It's 11 a.m. Very cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's four o'clock here, and the weather has been absolutely horrific today. We've had, uh, I think, I've seen everything from from hail and thunder and lightning. Now beautifully sunny. So a typical English day. What's it like where you are? Yeah, it's raining and it's windy. We're close to the ocean here, so it's it's got some breezes going on. Oh, nice. And I suppose you're tucked up at home right now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's a rough life, but we're we're hanging in there. Yeah, fair, fair. Well, look, dude, well, let's, let's get into it. So the way that we start these podcasts is I get guests to tell their story. And obviously you and I have, have had a conversation before. I wrote the Forbes article on your recent raise from your company. And I guess in doing the research for that article, I had a call with you and, and talked, I think, mostly about your background because it is so interesting and all the different things that you've done from clinical work to technology and now entrepreneurship. And so I'm really excited for our listeners to hear this. And so if you could, my friend, could you uh, could you tell us your story? Sure. My name is Chris Caulfield. So I'm the co-founder and CNO of IntelliCare, Chief Nursing Officer. My story begins uh, out of college. I actually got a, a biology degree and I started working in a lab for my first healthcare job. So we were manufacturing and doing quality control on immunoassays. So I thought it was super cool doing that. It sounded exciting, but working in a lab, it just got pretty boring and I really wanted to contribute in a higher, more personal way to healthcare. So I started looking into other careers, um, looked at different programs, medical school, physician assistant school, but then I found nursing and nursing seemed like it was one of those professions that you really could have a personal touch. And also there was programs out there that you could work at the same time that you were working full time and found a a program that was close to my house. I was able to ride my bike there, which was pretty incredible. So I took two years and I got an RN. So when I became an RN, it, it, was, it was kind of a wild ride. I started working in long-term care facilities and I, I had a couple different jobs. So I went from long-term care to subacute rehab to nursing informatics and eventually into advanced practice. As a long-term care nurse, working at the hospital I was in, they asked me to become the, the nurse union leader. So I thought it was pretty cool that my peers wanted me to do this job. And I realized what, what type of stress this job actually entailed. You know, what I was finding out was really the nursing burnout 
was really due to the mandatory overtime, the short staffing, the dangerous conditions, really these, this quality of care issues that nurses were being burnt up because they were asking to work so much and they were asked to work, you know, take on so many patients. So as this union leader, I was really struggling to, to find out some solutions to help this problem and there was really nothing going on. We, we tried to use staffing agencies that were local to help out our staff, and they weren't really able to deliver. They weren't able to meet these, these short requests for call-outs, last-minute call-outs. That's really when I came together and I worked with the, the director of IT at my facility, and we decided to go off on our own and do our own startup, and that's what really drove us to start IntelliCare, the gig economy platform for nurses, and nurses get to come in and fill shifts for healthcare facilities that have last-minute requests. Wow. Um, a real whistle-stop tour through <laughs> through an amazing career and uh, amazing achievements. And it was $45 million, is that right, your recent round? Yeah, the Series B round, we, we raised $45 million. So it was the largest ever nursing fundraising round. So we're, we're using that to really grow and to perfect our technology and really to support nurses. So it's, it's super exciting for us. So... We're going to talk about that and we're, going to, we're definitely going to get into that and everything about the company. But I know that our listeners do enjoy hearing about careers and yours is so fascinating. So talk us through, uh, the, the, the first thing that I'm interested in here is the choice to become a nurse of all the different clinical specialties and things you could have been. It seems like you made a real active decision to be a nurse for a few different reasons. It seems like it, it, it matched your personality for for the fact that you said you chose it for that you know the clinical as well as the personal touch but also the practicality of it as well in that you were able to do a couple of different things at the same time i mean is that is that fair to say that's how you arrived at that decision absolutely so the the concept of the personal touch when you're a nurse you get to really deal with your patients you're not going after one patient after another patient after another patient, even though sometimes that is the case, but you're really getting to know them. You know, as an inpatient nurse, you, you're understanding, you know, their personal habits, their needs, their, their wants, and you're really able to deliver as long as you have enough staff. So that's obviously what I ran into when I was, what I thought was a nurse was really having a lot of personal touch and time. And when you have proper staff, you're able to do that. But when you don't, it turns into kind of running from next patient to next patient. So the, the idea of what I expected was a little bit different for sometimes, but it really was that caring and compassion that you're able to deliver. It's interesting Regard- because I just gave a talk to some... Um- some sixth formers actually. So in the UK, there's sort of, you know, 17 year olds that are looking to, you know, decide what their career should be and all the rest of it. And a few of them were thinking about going to medical school. And I was talking to them about, you know, do you actually love it? Is it, is, does it match your personality? Does it match the things that you're going to enjoy doing? Cause there's one thing just being academically able to do something. There's another, if it does, if it completely doesn't match your personality. And I think it seems almost that way for you that you, you seem to have a self-awareness that you, you knew that's what you wanted to do. You wanted a job with that personal touch. And I think it was so interesting, you know, speaking to 17 year olds and watching them trying to that didn't compute with them almost. They were like, well, if I can go and do medicine, why would I do anything else except becoming a doctor? And it's like, well, because you, you might prefer the personal touch, for example, it might be a thing. And it's funny that people have to make those decisions so early in their life and um, with parental pressure and all the rest of it. Um, but it, it seems like you had the, the benefit of, of a bit more experience that you're able to make that decision. 
Yeah, I decided to become a nurse. I believe I was at the age of 25 or 26. So I already went to school for biology before and I could have went on and, and went to graduate school. But I was really considering what I wanted to do and what, what's the best path. And I understood that they go into medical school. It's a 10-year commitment with all the residency programs. And I wasn't really sure if that was my path. So the the opportunities for nursing is there's flexible programs out there. There's even programs that you can do and you can still work your career. So that's really what initially drove me, the, the easiness and not saying nursing school is easy at all, but the, the flexibility and also the, the idea of, of being able to, to have that caring touch when you're dealing with patients. And after I got my RN and making the consideration of getting my RN is also the opportunity to become a nurse practitioner. So nursing has really progressed as far as what type of degrees they offer and the flexibilities they offer. So nurse practitioner degrees, they do offer a lot of distance-based programs that you can continue working and you can obtain your advanced practice degree and you can become a primary care provider, which is something that, that I went on to do, which is, was great. You can bring that medical side, bring that primary care side, also deliver the nursing side, and you can not have to quit your job and dedicate 70 hours a week. You can do a 30-hour-a-week commitment, extend the program out, do it three or four years, and you can get to where you, you want to be and actually deliver additional medical need for, for patients that really need it. So that was very excited, and, and nursing really allows for that flexibility and advancement in your career. So that's really why I chose nursing. Makes a lot of sense. And in terms of, you know, looking at your career and everything that you've done, you know, beyond that, in terms of, you know, if I had to pick a pedigree for, for a health tech entrepreneur, it probably would have some sort of biotechnology. It probably would have some sort of hospital IT in there as well. So, and as well, obviously the clinical and you've had all of those things, haven't you? I remember us talking about it before. Was it Siemens that you worked for at one point as well as hospital IT stuff? Yeah. So, so when I got out of school, out of my undergrad, I joined up with Siemens Healthcare, and it was the manufacturing of immunoassays. So we did quality control and the manufacturing. And what that really provided me was the, the corporate structure of, of lean manufacturing. That's something that's not really that prevalent out in the hospital system that I see in the long-term care centers. So they really teach you the idea of lean manufacturing, which can be provided and, and applied to all types of healthcare situations. So I think that really brought me to the, the idea of streamlining every process that you make and deliver. So when I, when I went into the clinical, absolutely, yeah. When I went into the clinical side, those type of processes, it seems like everyone's just chasing their tail and they, they don't really have the time to really have the frontline workers participate in those type of lean processes. I, I think at a management level and a higher up level at the executive level, they, they have those type of initiatives, but it's really hard to work with nurses and to actually have them do any type of lean programs because they're, they're so swarmed, they have too many patients they're trying to deal with. So it really gave me a different perspective on what you can take from an outside industry and apply it into the next industry. When I went to the IT side, when I was working in nursing informatics, we were, we were bringing on EMAR systems to, to a paper system in a hospital. And it was the same real idea of how do we make the frontline worker really in charge and making determining factors of how we design the system. Because you can bring in a consultant group or another outside group that implements EMARs. And if you have to click a thousand buttons before you get to where you actually want to go, you just added additional time onto the already stressed nurse. 
So it's really bringing on the experience of what you have working with the people that are actually using the products and making sure it's really delivered for them and not just based on a theory. So I think the the wide variety of experience that I had from the outside of the industries really created the person I am today and how I, I make the products and work with the team that I'm working with on, on IntelliCare. I completely agree. And I, we talk about this on this podcast so often, you know, the, the views of outside industry or, or just studying something different or doing something different like data science or computer science, or in this case, IT as well as biotechnology, and then going into the clinical world. Because if, you, if you're not just from the clinical world, you have an appreciation for a different way of thinking in order to solve different problems. And, you know, I was trying to make notes furiously there because there's so much that, that you mentioned that, that I just want to highlight for, for a lot of the listeners and, you know, people that are going into entrepreneurship or potentially are entrepreneurs. And I think it seems that you, you spoke the different languages, right? You spoke the language of hospital IT. You spoke the language of you know, biotechnology, but also business in lean thinking. And obviously you spoke the language of, of clinical care, i.e. nursing. And so it gives you this kind of empathy for everybody's problems because you understand all of their different worlds. And so when it comes to creating a business, it starts with truly understanding a problem. And it seems like, you know, for what IntelliCare has gone and become, it seems that in your initial grounding of, of this business was in truly understanding the problem from all angles. Do you think that's fair? I would say that's, that's fair. And, and, you know, also I think that it's understanding different components that put the puzzle together, but also understanding that you're not the expert in all those different variables. Interesting. So yeah. when we, we, when we started in telecare, it was, it was two of us. It was me and the IT director of the hospital. And we, we tried to bootstrap. That's a power our, couple to start a business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we started bootstrapping the company, you know, no funding. And, and we were going around for, for about a year and we were relatively successful. But we really didn't hit that point where we really started to see true growth until we brought on additional founders. So we brought on some additional founders that had expertise in the business side, that had expertise in the sales side, that really could make the team well-rounded. Because, you know, if you go on yourself and you try to take it on, you, you just, you can't do it because it's it's too much. You don't really have the, the expertise or the time to learn all the different expertise yourself. So you have to bring on other folks that are really innovative, that really have drive, that can really fall behind the passion that, that you first initially had. And that's when you really start seeing success. And that's what worked for us. Interesting. How did you find them? How did you select them? Yeah, it was really connections within our own network. So, so my co-founder, Eichna, he's the, the IT guy I'm talking about. He's our CTO right now. We brought in his brother. He was actually uh, Prince Nar. He was running a, a hospital out there in California and he came back to Massachusetts. And so he had... He had the business side and also he was, he was really good at, at business development and sales. So he brought that side on. He actually kind of side, sidestepped our business. We were focusing on home care. It wasn't working as well with our on-demand technology. And he really connected us with this, 
local facilities that really needed our service. So we kind of altered our path. So he came on uh, through obviously a connection, blood connection brother. And we also brought David Coppins on and he was our advisor from the start, but he, he was uh, an experienced healthcare executive CEO. He was actually the, the president of Virgin Pulse, which is a successful company in Massachusetts. So he came on and he really brought that leadership you know, helped us really define our, our market niche and get our structure and strategy down and, and helped us raise funds as well as running the business as well. So it, it was the perfect combination that really had us kick us off to success. Yeah, I think it's really important to have that humility as a founder, because I think often if people are going to start businesses, be those in health tech or indeed any other industry, I think that there is often a feeling that, you know, you want it to be your own and, you know, you'd rather employ people rather than give away equity. And that can be a point of friction. But it seems that you had a big vision from day one, you know, that you wanted to build something for the long term, not to make a quick buck. And actually, in order to do that, you became comfortable with, you know, giving equity and bringing other founders in, which has evidently been the right strategy, it seems. Yeah, that's my number one recommendation for, for young entrepreneurs that are looking to be successful is, is you can't keep a company yourself and expect to really grow and be successful. You have to bring on other co-founders. You have to be willing to give up equity because it's just so difficult to continue working 100 hours a week and think that you're really going to be productive. You need a team, a good team of at least four or five that are all putting in the hours to really to break over to the next level. And I think that's it, putting in the hours, because that's what equity is going to do. I think if you're, if you're paying salary, there's only so much people are going to do, obviously. And I think when people have that ownership over the entity, they're obviously going to go the extra mile because it, it sort of belongs to them as much as it belongs to you. And I think, you know, it's that, that old adage, isn't it? It's not the size of the, what is it? Not the size of the, of the slice or the pie, something to do with slices and pies. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Equity amongst your, your first employees and continue when you grow to, to give equity to the, the vast majority of your company that those folks that are really going to succeed and really put their, their heart and soul in it is, is so important. Definitely. So you've got this awesome team that you've put together or putting together. You found a problem, but it sounds like you were, you know, poking around for product market fit and pivoting as and when. The the problem that you ended up solving is obviously it's obviously a, hu a huge problem, um, you know, with nurses becoming stuck after shifts and, and all this, which actually, you know, when I spoke to you when I was writing the Forbes article on your raise, your Series B raise, it was a problem that actually I had been fortunate never to experience here in the UK. You know, the notion that an, if a nurse doesn't come to the hospital to relieve another nurse, they have to stay or indeed whatever clinical area it is that you're talking about that they end up, you know, having to stay. And I think, you know, thinking back to when I was on, you know, ICU and, and, you know, working as a doctor there, you know, the thought of that actually happening to those, to those nurses and they just have to stay, it just seems, it seems very alien to me. And so actually I think for, for our, for our listeners around the world, it'd be good for you to just kind of explain exactly what that problem is and how it comes about. And then we can kick off into, in telecare and talk about how you actually went and solved it. Sure. I, let me give you a background of kind of the nurses that we're working with and the facilities that we're working with. So I know that you mentioned the, the ICU and the ICU is kind of a one-to-one -one relationship, uh, a low nurse-to-patient ratio. Hospitals in general, they have 
a big staff to support themselves. And they have a lot of nurses that they can flex and float between different units if there's somebody that calls out. So that, that type of staffing at, at facilities in hospitals, particularly in the U.S. and I know around the world, really is concentrated on travel nurses. So nurses come in for 12 weeks because the, the complexities of getting a nurse for the last minute aren't as urgent as the facilities that we're dealing with. So what we found is the, the facilities that really need this on-demand type of nursing and coverage are those smaller facilities, and particularly in the U.S., it's the long-term care skilled nursing facilities, and there's, there's 15,000 of them, so there's a lot of these facilities out there, and also the, the other long-term care, like assisted living. So these nurses are taking care of, of 20 patients at a time, and at nighttime, it goes higher than that, can go to 40 and 50. So it's a high nurse-to-patient ratio, and they don't really have the HR resources and the amount of nurses within their facility to flex and to float. If you're there, you're, you're taking care of your patients from a 3 to 11 shift, and the nighttime nurse doesn't show up, that nighttime nurse is actually covering the whole facility. So it's either you leave and you leave your patients, basically abandon your patients, which is unfortunate, which is really what my struggle was as the union leader to really protect these nurses work both sides, but they really don't have an option. So, you know, although I suppose because the the units are so isolated by definition, which is why they're difficult to staff in the first place. And so it, it it becomes a a, a moral dilemma, I suppose, for those, for those nurses that 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 were supposed to have been relieved. It does. The moral dilemma is really what also brings on additional stress. So you, you're working with a lot of patients, you have a lot of need, and say, say we're not talking about somebody being stuck, but say it's, it's a daytime shift and you're just short-staffed. It's the same way. How am I going to treat the patient and help the patients that I need and give them the appropriate time? But there's really not the appropriate time because I'm doing double the work because there's not the resources to really backfill. So that's really on the facility side. So we're focused on those, those smaller facilities. Usually they're, they're 100 bed facilities, but they have half the professional nursing staff that a hospital would have. So in these facilities, the, the nursing turnover is sometimes it's on average greater than 50% a year. The double shifts that, that people are forced to do, there's been studies that show it's, it's two and a half times more likely for a nurse to get burnt out once they're doing double shifts. And the burned out nurses are five times more likely to leave unnecessary care unfinished. So it's really a, a chain reaction that causes more burnout, more turnover. And all you really need to do is provide appropriate staff for the, that last minute call out. And you get the facility's own internal staff is going to be less burnout and they're going to turn over less. They're going to eventually need less staff because they're, they're retraining their own people. And, you know, from the nursing side, the solution that we, we offer really brings a lot of nurses off of the sidelines because the, the work-life balance that they're experiencing, that they have to deal with their family commitments, babysitting schools, caretaker of their family, they can't really commit to the full-time job that is Monday through Thursday, then a rotating weekend schedule of Saturday and Sunday. And that's how it is. It's, it's every other week you're rotating on the weekend and the, the schedule is very defined from, you know, seven to three or seven to seven. So what we kind of offer for those nurses is the flexibility that you can pick up a shift that really works around your family schedule. And it's really brought a lot of nurses that were not working or working minimal hours to pick up 
additional shifts. So it's it's helping the the nursing burnout and nursing shortage and a multitude of factors. It's it's pretty exciting. So, so it's a platform then that allows those facilities to you know request staff at short notice and it allows those nurses to then pick and choose take control of their schedule um and pick up shifts in a you know short amount of time to to get that flexibility right yeah that's 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 the basic kind of package of of what we truly do you know i, I think that we've gone pretty advanced in in the mobile technology um from our onboarding our training our shift recommendations so we're using different type of algorithms to rematch nurses, to motivate them, to give them rewards, to increase consistency, and also deliver the feedback recommendations as, as far as what the nurses feel about the facilities they're working at, and also what the facilities are rating the nurses at, so we can go back and kind of tailor our network and, and continue to, to do quality improvement. So this is where I think it gets quite interesting from a you know a health tech perspective in, in that you know, it, it's not particularly defensible if you just stick a platform up that does what I just said in a very in a very simple fashion. It seems yeah. to be that you guys have have appreciated the fact that there's quite a lot of behavioral science involved, and there's quite a lot of behavioral science learning that you'll do with access to data at this sort of scale around the clinician's behavior and how they request in terms of the behavior of the facilities in terms of when they need that support. And I remember talking to you when we did the article for, for fours around your raise, like there's, there's, there's some, the stuff that you do around that, right. From a data science perspective in terms of prediction. And I think that's where from a technology perspective, it gets interesting. And yeah, my, my, the horse in the race here for me is that, that I love anything that makes the lives of staff easier. And I think this is a, a big part of it. So yeah, talk to me about that in terms of those more advanced um, analytics that you're talking about. Sure. We, we've built our, our data science team. You know, we started off with one and now we're, I believe, up to six great data scientists, which really focus on a lot of different factors. Um, there's the the idea of how do you predict when a facility most needs staff. So using different variables and looking at past histories and looking at future predictions of when they're on the platform, when they're entering their shifts, when they're deleting their shifts, when they're filling it on their, their own staff. So understanding that behavior and really trying to apply that onto your supply side. So how do you really get a nurse or nursing assistant to almost be ready to pick up a shift before that shift is in the platform. Understanding that in this particular micro area, and we're talking uh, an area within 20 miles, and that's kind of where these these nurses are driving, the supply versus demand based on the, the shift need, if it's uh, Sunday on 3 to 11, how do you bring in any nurse that's interesting in working that time? And if that time is, is saturated and you have enough nurses, how do you decrease your, your recruitment of a nurse at that particular time? So it's a lot of different feedback mechanisms of how you understand these small little markets. And there's, there's thousands of them out there because the nurses aren't driving incredible, incredible amounts of distances. And then the, the fluctuating demand from your facilities because their census is going up and down. I mean, right now, of course, it's it's pretty unbelievable demand we have based on COVID-19 and facilities having their own staff sick. So it's bringing on a, a little bit of 
different because the demand is so high, you don't have to worry about all these small details. But in normal times, there is definitely fluctuations of census. There is their own staff turning over. There is a lot of different factors that really you can utilize data science to really recommend, reward, motivate your staff and recruit the right staff that can fit the ever-changing needs of these facilities. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's super micro-targeted in a, a small little city, um, say in, in Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania, we might have right now 25 markets within that city that there's, there could be mar- several markets around a big city and there could be one or two markets, um, you know, around smaller cities. And, and it's, it's really applying those characteristics and behaviors around every t- single market in different unique ways. And I think, you know, that's, that's what I really like about this is because it's, it's a couple of things. It's the fact that it's, it's super scalable what you've done because it's it's a single entity that applies itself to all those different markets in an in, in a very individual way. It can truly understand all of those different markets, all those different market forces to come up with the solution that is required for each of those individual places. And I think the knock-on effects of solving what might seem like on an individual and anecdotal basis, relatively trivial, you know, just matching staff to jobs actually on both uh, both an economic level as well as a very personal level for those people for whom it solves the problem, i.e. the actual staff themselves, the, the, the patients, those clinicians, families, you know, all the rest of it. I think the, the amount of problems this goes on to solve is exponential when you start thinking about it. And, and I think that's, that's what I really enjoyed about this when I started, you know, when I initially got your press release through and then I started reading around it. I think it's the fact that it's, just, it's, it's solving not only one problem in a big way, it's solving all these little problems for so many people in so many little ways. Do, do you know what I mean? I think that's kind of why I like it. And perhaps that's because I'm a clinician and I can, like, you know, I just loved a bit of flexibility to just like take a Wednesday afternoon off to play tennis or something like for my mental health and, and stuff when I was practicing. But I think, I think that's why it appeals to me, you know? Yeah. The, the trickle down effects of this, it, it's exponential. And when I, when I got into healthcare, it was how can I help the most, have the most impact on helping society? Of course, it's you can get down to the individual level and you can really focus on one patient. And as a, as a floor nurse, that's what I was doing. It was great. I, I worked as the, the union, union leader and how do I help you know, my, the rest of my nurses? And I think we had 70 of them at the time. How do I make their lives better? Because they're going to have more impact on, on more patients. I went into the, the, the nurse practitioner side, mostly because of the burnout we were experienced as frontline nurses, but it's another way that you can really have a big impact and really kind of follow somebody through their whole lifespan. When we went into this business, it was really understanding that you can have a much bigger impact. It's not just the facilities that you're helping. It's not just the overall individual nurses that you're helping and their families, but really you can have a, a true impact on, on the turnover, burnout, and the amount of nurses coming in versus out because right now nurses in general are really they're they're getting burnt out and they're leaving the profession so if you can bring any of those nurses back to have flexible opportunities and to pick up two shifts a week and not be burnt out and feel like this is okay for me and also have those nurses not leave the profession 
that really has the big impact on the future of really solving the nursing shortage. And I, I feel like what we're doing is really contributing to that. I know there's other companies that are out there doing it in different areas and different settings. And I think that this is really going to have a much bigger impact on nursing in general and eight, be able to really care for the patients that need care. I could not agree more. Mate. I, you know, there's, you know, I'm in WhatsApp groups with some of my friends that are still medics and some of us have left and, and, you know, the, the challenges of our different careers now and then, and, and we often compare it, but I think there was a really interesting article published by the Guardian in the UK last year. And it talked about, in inverted commas, you know, the, the petty tortures of doctors denied leave. And it had all these anecdotal stories of, of, you know, doctors and other clinicians here in the UK that they might have had a stillbirth or they've literally had their appendix burst on a shift and they're just not allowed to take leave for like all these like ludicrous things. And okay, those are extreme, but you know, when we, when we passed that article round in our WhatsApp group amongst our friends, everyone was like, yeah, totally see that. There's someone in my hospital that did this and all that. And there's, there's all these pressures of, of like, you know, on one hand, you know, being almost having that moral obligation to be in and, and doing those things. And on the other hand, it's like, well, what's out there trying to help us. And, you know, we're out here moaning about the problem, but actually who's out there solving it. And it's not, you know, it's nice to hear that you're doing it. It's nice to hear that other companies are doing it. And my point here is that I completely agree that when you take all of these things out, these petty tortures, as, as the Guardian called it, it's, it starts to become a more attractive career. It starts to be a better environment in which to work as a clinician. That then has a knock-on effect to your patients. That then has a knock-on effect to you and your family. It might You might end up influencing or inspiring other people to do medicine in your career or become a nurse because of the positivity that now surrounds your job. And I think, yeah, as I say, it might seem like a, like a small thing solving someone's rotor, but actually the reality is that it goes so deep and actually solves so many problems. So for you guys, then obviously it's a very, and I talk about scaling my impact a lot when I talk about why I left medicine and all those different things, which sounds like you share as well. But I think one thing that's often been difficult for people that, that, that are trying to innovate and be entrepreneurs in the space where they're helping clinicians is, is that a business model is often difficult because by saving clinicians time or by helping them in one way or another, it's often difficult to show a business model because they're not the ones paying for stuff. But here, obviously you've found a good business model for this to work. And I don't know if you wanted to just explain to our listeners a bit, a bit about your business model and, and, and how it makes sense to the tune of you raising so much money, obviously, because you, your books look quite good, I imagine. Yeah. I, I mean, we're, we're a venture back company. So, so obviously we're, we're taking resources on, um, you know, to grow really fast and our investors definitely feel that the, the potential long-term is a very sustainable business. What we're what we're disrupting is the the healthcare staffing industry, and this is an industry that is 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 a large, multi billion dollar bis- business that they've been using these tactics that include manual spreadsheets and software that is not really designed from the ground up, but kind of built off of other HR systems. So we're going into an industry that was already there, and it already has the metrics that say that there's companies that that make a, a great amount of, of money and that could go public. So I think from from a business standpoint, I think that the the opportunity to make money, of course, in the long term future is there, but 
the disruption and the innovation that you can bring to this is really what, what attracted our investors. And it's super exciting because we really get to, to scale our business. Last year, I think uh, we were in six states, I believe, and now you know we're going into to 15 to 20 states this year. So we're really expanding around super fast. Uh, we've been able to, to add amazing teammates to our team, more senior level folks that have done this before in other industries, whether it be recruiting, sales, product, finance. Our whole team has really been able to, to get additional resources to help to fuel this growth. And really, ultimately, what, what we feel great about is, is we're not necessarily fueling growth just for a number. You're really fueling growth to, to affect nurses out there and, and ultimately patient quality of care. So it, it's so exciting. I, I, think, I think the investors that we have now are, are so drawn to the idea that we're having a social impact in addition to a financial uh, benefit. So it, it's, it's super exciting. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And it must be quite motivating to see the results as well. Obviously, you know, raising a lot of money is nice. And, and you know, that you can see a runway expand. You can see all the you know, potential for scale and, and different parts of the business that you can bolster. But I don't know, from from what I've heard about you, I imagine, you know, seeing personal stories from nurses come in of, as to how you've helped them probably gets you out of bed in the morning still, right? I, I read Google reviews all day long. I love it. When I see something that's good, I, I share it. And when I see something that's bad, I'm thinking, how do we fix this? When there's so many nurses out there that are working for us right now, we're going to hear all types of stories. But over the last year or two years, the stories have been getting much better. There's, a, there's 90, 95% of the, the feedback that we're getting is really how it's affecting their life and making them have the ability to work and have the ability to stay with their family and have more time. So, you know, when you first build a product, it's not always going to be smooth. There's going to be some people that, that have difficulty with your technology or systems because you might have grown too fast to handle to really taking care of those folks. But now I feel like IntelliCare has really been able to bring on the resources to really make the lives of these nurses so much better. And it, 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 it just brings a smile to your face every, every morning when you really start looking at the stories. It's, it's amazing. No, I do get that, mate. So yeah, a couple more questions for me then before we wrap up. I'm really interested to hear about what your role's like in the company now and what you actually do on a day-to-day basis. And that's because a chief nursing officer of a uh, you know, venture-backed health tech startup isn't a common role. It's not a role that's afforded to, to many. There might be chief medical and, and a few other different bits and bobs, but they all do completely different things. And I think you know, for, for people that are doing nursing, nursing at the moment that have got aspirations to become entrepreneurs, a chief nursing officer might well be on their radar or indeed a similar role at a company the size of you or whatever it is. So I'm interested to know because it could look like anything. You know, what 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 does your role in the company look like right now? What does an average day or week look like for you? And I guess what yeah, what are the what are the most fun parts of your job as you as you have it now? Sure, I'll start off with what it was and what it is today. So obviously, when you start off small, you kind of wear multiple hats. So in the, the beginning, it was more of an operational role. There wasn't that much focus on on clinical practices, just because. We didn't have the time or resources. Over the last year, year and a half, really, I've been transitioning to the clinical role. And a lot of that is, is really the, the quality of care and the training. So, for example, we just we rolled out a, a COVID-19 nurse training program. Uh, it was about a month ago. And I really had some, some real good time and, and resources to dedicate this, to make this for nurses and to make it, you know, fully animated. And what we did is, you know, so far we had 400,000 nurses around the world actually download and get the certificate. So it's, 
it's really amazing to to be able to to prepare and to to train nurses um, out in the field because it, it gets them feeling like they're ready for 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 a battle rather than not knowing what to go in and, and understand what's going to go on. So training is definitely a big part, and we've been building our, our curriculum and our animated course within the app. So that, that type of the product is, is really where I've been focusing on. It's also the, the quality of care. Um, it's the, the continuous feedback loop of, of how do you get clients to really give you feedback on how the nurses are doing and in the same way, how do you get the nurses to give you feedback based on the clients to give both suggestions to really improve their process. So it's working with the product teams back and forth, um, working with my team, kind of building that quality team. And then of course, it's always strategy of the company, and how do you how do you help others be successful? You know, as a co-founder, and just bring bring some support. Um, you know, what do you need? What can we do? What what have, what can my team help you with? And what can your team help me with? So it's really bringing the team together, and that's that's something that I, I've been learning from some of the more senior folks that have have we've brought on the chief operating officer and the CEO of how you really become a successful leader within your group and also throughout the company. Interesting. Yeah, because I suppose another thing that a lot of us in healthcare that have, have ducked and dived into loads of different jobs feel is that we're often addicted to learning as well. And, and I'm certainly like that. You know, I, I spend a couple of years in a in a sector or a job or a, the company and I, or, you know, when I've started and, and, you know, you always want to look for the next thing. And I think, yeah, there's something about that, isn't there? You know, from being clinical and, and seemingly getting to a point where you've used so much of the different skill sets that you've had, because frankly, it'd be impossible to do your job had you not of being a ground floor nurse and actually, you know, with the ability to have that ep- empathy and understanding for what they're going through in order to design something and then teach them all the rest of it. Um, but it seems like, yeah, you know, learning that kind of senior leadership in business and, you know, running a company that's, that's gone through seed series A and now series B, and then that next stage of adding in all those different processes, it seems like the learning journey is also quite addictive and quite enjoyable if I'm right. Yeah you build all these processes and you learn from building the processes in, in, a, in a macro level. And then you start building out your more perfected departments that can really help your users, which is our nurses, our facilities. You bring the same techniques that you learned over there, the mistakes, and you can do it much faster and quicker. And being able to learn from the previous growth and success and failures and also bring in my background as a nurse so I can really focus on the nursing role within the company it's an amazing transition. It's very rewarding. And, and I'm so excited to kind of launch this and, and have so much success with the team that we have. Awesome. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I, I love your career. I love everything that you've done. I think that, you know, the way that you've entered or the way that you once upon a time entered health tech entrepreneurship was from, you know, a solid, one of the best pedigrees that I've ever heard from biotech at Siemens to, you know, nursing and, and all the other different bits and bobs that, that put your skill set together. I think, you know, your ability to spot a problem and actually go and, you know, put a team together and solve it has been, has been, you know, great. And I, yeah, really look forward to seeing what you guys achieve in, in, you know, the next, what would it be? 18 months, two years, however long you plan to spend $45 million. Some <laughs> yeah. sort of eye-watering pace of, uh, of, of burn. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, Chris, is there any, is there anything that you'd like our listeners to know that, that I haven't already asked you? I think we've covered most of it just to, to give an overview in telecare. We're supporting nurses. We're really that gig economy for nurses and for healthcare facilities. And we're expanding around the country. 
eventually, hopefully, you'll be over there in the UK. I know that there's some great staffing firms over there that that need help as well. So. To, to everyone right now in the in the U.S. that's a nurse or a nursing assistant, and you're you're looking to kind of have flexible options, definitely consider IntelliCare. Same thing with the facilities. If if you're looking for staff to be filled, take a look at us. We'd love to help out, and we're looking forward to continue working with our with our partners and our nurses to make to make the system better for for the nursing burnout and decrease the nursing shortage. Awesome. And if people want to get in touch with you or somebody at IntelliCare, what's the best way to contact you or the company? I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Chris Caulfield, RN. NPC is, is my name out there, um, just for the nurse practitioner. And for our company, IntelliCare, you can go to IntelliCare.com. It's I-N-T-E-L-Y-C-A-R-E.com. And also, we're on Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, other social media that you can reach out to us. Awesome. And for you guys listening, I'm going to put the links to Chris, IntelliCare and all of that stuff in the description of this episode. You can head there now to click on those. So Chris, thank you very much, sir. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so, so much for having me, James. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.